Are ready? Cool. Are we good to go? <clears throat> Are we recording? Yeah, yeah. All right, we'll do it now. All right, three, two. All righty, good afternoon, and thank you for joining us on our first episode. The first season, first episode of the main podcast, season one, Let's Hash It Out. We're joined here today, obviously, by our co-host, Carrie Landry. Hey, what's my, up, everybody? Myself. Evan, a.k.a. Headstash207, and our guest for the day, uh, Mega Raw Melts, Tucker. Hello, what's up, everyone? Thank you so much for joining us. So, yeah, my pleasure. I guess something first we wanted to hop into is really just just tell everyone, you know, who you are, where you're from, things like that, how you got started in the industry. So I uh, grew up in New Jersey, uh, started getting into marijuana probably about 14 years old down there and uh, quickly figured out it wasn't uh, the best place to pursue a marijuana career. <laughs> so I uh, pursued other uh, avenues 14, and seen... Uh, at 14 years old though. Yeah. That's an I mean, early uh, time to pursue a cannabis career or... I was in high school probably uh, in the computer lab looking over uh, these forums like Overgrow, you know, had build your own grow cabinets and how to make it look like... Uh, box that you could just stick a plant on or something and looked unassuming but you know you could grow one plant for your head stash and yeah that turned into going to uh, the cannabis cup in Amsterdam in 2002 when I was about 18 and getting some seeds and uh, pursued growing outdoors in New Jersey with a friend of mine in the park and uh, yeah I was able to have our first crop and how did you find entering, you know, going into the Cannabis Cup at such a young age, 18 years old? I know now looking into it, the industry is highly developed, but I feel back back then it was really protected or and it was kept to people of an older age or so, you know, so to speak, like an OG. So how did you feel entering a scene like that at, at such a young age again? It was pretty intimidating, to be honest. Um, yeah, I had never experienced or been to anything like it. Uh, you know, I'd done some international traveling, but pretty much my first international traveling without any adults you know it was just me and a friend mm -hmm. uh, that I pretty much convinced to go with me <laughs> um, so yeah it was it was quite the experience he lost his ticket the first day so it was kind of stressful <laughs> he was trying to get me to go and get him stuff and he yeah. was really spacey and just trying to get him to go and eat at a restaurant or focus I mean it was you know it was it was it was a great experience it was a great adventure and uh for them, yeah. it's an everyday occurrence, then, I mean, isn't it? To, to be selling seeds, to, to provide seeds. Oh yeah, I mean, to the Dutch different. and yeah, I mean, the coffee shop scene and everything. I mean, to them, it was no big deal and they're kind of just annoyed by, you know, the American tourists probably that are all, you know, pie-eyed trying to just look at the menu and decide <laughs> what they want to buy. And yeah, a lot of Americans there too. Yeah, um, they're kind of like, all right, you got to buy a drink. Like if you're going to hang out here and smoke a joint, yeah, you're gonna have to buy something. <laughs> and you did. So it was a different. Yeah, no. Of course, at that point, you had to, you know, or, yeah. you, or you packed up your stuff and took off. Um, so, so at 14, you started growing. At 18, you went to the, or 14, you got into the industry. I should say. In, in 14, I first was like started smoking. Yeah, that's when you started smoking. And, you know, getting into it. You know, 18 buying it, is when to you possess started it and <laughs> sell it and this and that. So successful. Uh, yeah, you know, it was all right. I was you know, pretty small time. Uh, just enough you know, as a side hustle. Yeah, okay. mostly just just to pay for my own head stash for the most part. Right? Yeah, right. Um, but you know, decided to move up to Maine based on the laws up here being pretty relaxed, and uh, at the time, you know, the information available to me seemed like a safe bet to uh, put down some roots and come up here and try to figure out how to set up my first home grow and grow some of my own homegrown. 
When did that transition <laughs> happen though? At what age did you transition from, you know, really just flour to the actual hash form? And then also, you know, when did that transition happen from just a grower to actually producing hash? Um, so, I mean, hash, man, I mean, back when I first moved up here, I messed around with some hash bags, but never really had much success. And then, you know, got into just kind of open blasting trim, honestly, uh, BHO back in probably, man, 2012 or 2011. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, probably was about... was a big market for that, though, too. Yeah, at the there? time, you know, I was mostly just trying to, you know, get rid of the trim, and that was, you know, at the at that point in uh, hash existence, you know, that was what was people wanted. You know, bubble hash wasn't a big thing. There wasn't a big demand for it. There was certainly a way to... Uh, to smoke it very successfully other than uh, combining it on a joint or yeah, right. putting it on a bowl. So um, yeah. rosin was you know, didn't exist at the time. So there wasn't a lot of people making really high quality full melt that you could vaporize or that people were doing. Um, I remember certain devices they had like Bubble Man, you know, had, you know, some devices like that you could kind of sublimate or vaporize the bubble hash with and stuff. And I had friends that have it. So, I mean, I definitely, smoked bubble hash at the time and try to figure out ways to smoke it um you know at, at earlier times probably around the same time when i was first into bho around 2012. Mm -hmm. who came um, up with uh who, who designed something specifically for uh, i i miss this I, I i don't know for for hash for for dap rigs who what, I mean, you'd probably be able to answer that question uh, well time. like soil grown solventless is kind of credited for uh you know, discovering or, you know, kind of bringing the concept of flower rosin, I think, to the masses. And that was the first idea of it was, you know, pressing the dried bud uh, with a hair straightener to squeeze out the oil. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it kind of just evolved from that. And even my first experience, um, you know, I had a friend, a good buddy of mine that was, you know, at the time that I was just making the uh, BHO, he was making some bubble hash with his trim and he had a really nice strain. Um, and yeah, I would just use a hair straightener and put in a piece of parchment, this uh, trim run bubble hash that he would make. And I was able to dab it, you know, it left a lot of residual on the nail. It certainly wasn't clean like rosin is today, but uh, it had an uh, exceptional taste and the effect was really nice. Mm -hmm. And uh, it certainly would rival uh, any BHO at the time. You know, anyone mm -hmm. that tried it was very impressed. And, uh, so so yeah, that starts, was kind of the first. It always starts with home equipment. But in the main super skunk, whatever. Buddy Chris, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> in this time period of 2012, when did the whole brand or name, when did Mega Raw become a you know, a, a thing actually. When did that name develop and where did it come from in that whole, so, in that whole landscape of 2012 and on? Or was it before that too? It could have, I don't no, know. No, it wasn't really, uh, I didn't even establish Mega Raw until probably 2014, 2015 when I started uh, yeah, making the ice water hash again. And uh, I first had a screw, just kind of, it was my screen name, Mega Raw 10. That was my, uh, and Mega Raw comes from uh, uh, Queensbridge rapper Cormega. He has a line, Cormega Raw Forever. And uh, yeah, he's he's been a big inspiration for me. And I listened to his music since I was in high school. And, uh, you know, he was kind of always a underrated, kind of unsung hero of the Queens, New York uh, rap at that time. And, uh, you know, 
has a pretty interesting history, but he was, uh, you know, lyrically, poetically, he was uh, exceptional, and uh, I think, you know, that's always what stood out to me, just his mm-hmm. Was there a his lyrical content. following with that, with him as no, well? No, he's kind of more, a uh, little more, I mean, you know, if you, if you really like New York hip-hop from the 90s and early 2000s, you know, you, you know it, but... Uh, you know, beyond that, he was never successful like a Nas or um, yeah, you know, some right. some of the other Queens rappers. A like Cool G rap was you know more well known. You know, these guys had a lot more more records and stuff. And um, what influence? Mob Deep, you know. What yeah, did Mob they have? Right. Nas would be a good example. Two examples of much more commercially successful and known outside of the kind of underground uh, New York rap. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he's 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 always been big for me, and uh, yeah, it was kind of where I got my inspiration, I guess, for the, for the name. And uh, beyond that, too, what influence do you think like the, the hip hop community and that in general? Growing up too, is that was that a big introduction into the marijuana industry? Because that was for me too. I I learned a lot about you know rolling joints and stuff like that at a young age from Wiz Khalifa. And I remember we actually me and my friends the first video we watched of rolling a joint was from Wiz Khalifa. And there is a, there's a big crossover. We know that with like the hip hop community and that's I didn't even realize that the name Mega Rock came from something that's so inspired from the hip hop community like that or the, the rap culture like that in New York. Yeah, um absolutely. I would say um you know it's it's pretty cool and uh, it's been a big part of my life a lot uh, listening to the New York hip hop you know since I was in you know high school and definitely listening to you know, so many marijuana related songs you know I mean you can, of any type of music I mean <laughs> you can certainly find plenty I'm back from you know Cypress Hill to Dr. Dre to anything on the East Coast um, and even now, more so, I think with like Wiz Khalifa really brought that. I feel like into the mainstream. That was the first time we heard like something like that on the radio. And now we have Burner, who's been around just as long as them too. But he's become more to the forefront now. People know him because of the cookies. And we had, you know, we had Chris Crazy in the house too. Shout out Chris Crazy. Yeah, A lot absolutely. of these guys are, you know, surrounding themselves around that that marijuana theme. And I think they're picking up a big following of people in the cannabis industry it's great to play in shops it's great for people to have you know that good vibe music that's a little bit different than like the you know some of the traditional stuff that we're hearing in the mainstream things that are just screaming about you know making cars and money and things like that we're actually hearing about stuff that a lot of us enjoy when we like to do when we listen to music because that's what we do when we go to concerts you know we, we normally do you see people lighting up joints and having a drink yeah, nothing puts like you into a zone like uh like smoking and, and mm-hmm. the ease of smoking uh in a flower form on the go portable portability and so i think that change in portability for hash has really created an opportunity for hash makers to get a, a larger, broader audience. Those who have gone as far as the Puffco, yeah, has definitely revolutionized. I feel like that. Yeah, that absolutely. Portability has helped out. It's, it's like the joint version for you know for hash smokers. They can they can bring it anywhere. It's like the chillum, you know. You can bring it and smoke it anywhere for the most part. It's it's that of the hash community. It's really useful. You see people hitting it everywhere now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the the torch is pretty intimidating to a lot of people, um, especially non-smokers <laughs> or non-dabbers. So I think uh, having something that's portable and able to eliminate that uh, flame, you know, and the sound, everything, I think is yeah. uh, definitely made it a lot more accessible for a lot of people and a lot easier to kind of present to some people that might not, you know, be behind the. <laughs> the no, you're right. That intimidation and, yeah. is certain. Yeah. That torch big is part, definitely. So. Right. You're not worried about, you know, people getting burned mm-hmm. or, 
yeah, know, no, even, that's, for, that's, even from a hot torch or, you know, yeah, it's like, you know. But the, speaking of the extracts and things like that, one of the, you're obviously known for pie dough. That's been one of your, your, your staples. That's how I ended up hearing about you. I think that's how we all end up hearing about you. For the most part was pie dough, pie dough, pie dough. I'm like, what is this pie dough? Because I was, I was not big on the Instagram scene at a lot of points. Anyone who was in the community, obviously, I, I, to respect to you, knew who you were at that point. But for me, I was just coming into it, and then all of a sudden I kept hearing about the strain, and so I ended up, that's who I figured out the originator was, you know, or, or this person that was not the originator of, but Was it about producer. nine months ago that you uh, first reached out? No, probably was about, uh, yeah, maybe about nine months ago that I think I first got in contact with you and I actually tried the strain for the first time. But I guess, you know, for some of the basic, what is Pido? You know, where did it come from? And what is what made you fall in love with it? What do you think made other people fall in love with it, too? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So... Uh, <laughs> Pido is a strain from Canarado Genetics. Uh, shout out Kevin, you know, he's a great friend and a great breeder and a really um, good person to support. You know, if you're looking for seeds, you know, he's got, got a ton of things. You know, you can find just about any fruit or gas or cookie or any kind of flavor, exotic, sativa, whatever, you know, he's, you know, look, check his catalog, he's got it. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's the, Breakdown, it was released at the same time as he did all of his uh, grape pie reversals, which is a uh, grape stomper, uh, cherry pie as a reversed female to donate the pollen. And that was hit to the doe dog, which was a select from a grit star dog by Animal Cookies. So that's part of the reason why I think it's unique um, is because you know I think that that star dog was a cut that wasn't really used too, in too many breeding projects. Typically, people use the Cory star dog or the Nog Champa Illuminati cut. You know, there's a few other well-known we cuts that uh, yeah get get passed around and bred by a lot of breeders. So I think that was part of the reason why I think maybe it has a, a unique and. Um, you were commenting earlier where we were talking a little bit beforehand, commenting a little bit about the, what the flavor is for you and why you're attracted to it. So yeah, I mean, uh, basically in any strain, even when I was just growing for flour before concentrates, I was kind of looked for that lingering, uh, mouth coating, staining flavor. I even have it in my hashtag on Instagram, main stainers. It's kind of in reference to that, you know, I'm always just seeking out uh, really flavorful, you know, lasting things that, you know, really coat, coat your palate. And, uh, and I think Pido is, you know, checks that, checks that box for me. And, uh, you know, it checks, checks a couple boxes. It's got some fruitiness going on from the grape and the cherry. And then it's got the, you know, doughiness from the cookies, a really potent hashiness. And then it's got the gas from the star dog. Um, kind of an incense almost uh, really unique gas compared to a GMO or Chemdog or some of the other typical gassy strains or an OG that you get. Um, so I think... You've been using it in hash for how long now? Well, the pie dough, I think, uh, first grew in 2017. Uh, it was a seed run, you know, I had a few other, it was definitely the best plant out of all the, the seed pack. I've only cracked half a pack of seeds to find it, so oh, I feel no really fortunate um, to have found something that special, um, that you know, from a, from a small process. amount of, of plants and a couple, you know, were, were hermaphrodites or runts that I end up throwing outside, so it was one of the two that actually, you know, made it out of the six to 
actually be flowered in, inside and mm -hmm. out of those two you know it, it seemed like the keeper from right away you know just had a denser bud and you know it's had more of a smell just the look of the resin um, really caught my eye so uh, sure enough you know after the test wash it came back with some of the best hash I'd ever made and you know right away I knew that it was something special and I wanted to keep it and you know produce it right yeah <laughs> as my main thing mm -hmm. so uh, how's it played out with your how, how's it played out with not your audience but the grander larger medical community uh, feedback off of it I'm it's sure been, you got that been from pretty stores. unanimous I mean it's you know I think it has a really high THC content and it also has um, some CBG which I think you know for some medical patients and people that have pain and you know certain ailments um, I think you know it's it seems like a versatile medical strain that it's um, effective for you know somewhat of a range of people's uh, ailments and mm -hmm. seems like it also appeals to a pretty wide range of uh, people too you know I mean I haven't haven't run across too many people that weren't fans of it I guess uh, sure not really categorized you know I, I think if user. one thing you could say <laughs> if you don't like it you know maybe it's too strong for you but I mean it's <laughs> testing you know close to you know 90% THC it's about 88% cannabinoids you know yeah Wow, amazing. 85%, you know, from solvent lists, it's pretty, mm -hmm. you know, pushing pretty high numbers. Yeah, it is. Um, you can it? see the test results right on my Instagram page um, from some of the rosins, some of the pre-rosin 90U, uh, just ice water hash, and yeah, it's also testing, you know, in the 80s, so, nice. you know, it's, it's definitely a really high test. I still have to get the flower tested to see exactly where it's um, hitting, but yeah, just just good to know that it's, it's pretty high testing as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess I, that kind of flows right into what else I wanted to talk about what was you know that the, the test results of that what else have you come across other than your own brand of mega rock you know what actually Xavier why don't this would be a good time to break I'll just break real quickly what other brands do you enjoy to smoke and furthermore what really what other brands inspired you or led you down the path of, of hash you know well, yeah, um, there's uh, definitely a lot of a lot of inspired. Um, yeah, I mean, from uh, my buddy Frosty Nugman, definitely it was a big inspiration just uh, as a hash maker. Um, I mean, you know, he started making BHO, now makes rosin. Um, he's definitely been a big inspiration. Seeing him grow, it's been great. Um, you know, the first time I met him back in 2016, he had some grape gods so that <clears throat> kind of really uh, showed me a new level of ice water hash that I had never really seen before. You know, I'd made some outdoor uh, hash for my Gorilla Glue and some Sour Dub and a few others um, that came out pretty melty and definitely flavorful, but uh, this indoor cookies and cream and orange cream were definitely on a new level that I hadn't seen before. Just the look and the cleanliness of how, how they were and how they melted and dabbed on the nail and just how tasty and potent they were really um, you know maybe want to work harder and try to find strains that were gonna uh, be able to make hash that was that melty you know that was you know, how that, that type how of that relationship resin. come about you talked about grape grove how, how's uh, grape god grape god, god. I'm sorry. Yeah. Grape god. Uh, yes I mean just one of the friends of uh, my buddy frosty nugman uh, 
he had some of the cookies and cream uh, at their booth and just let me get a dab of it and I hunted the grape god guy down <laughs> and found uh, he didn't really have a booth he just kind of had a about table that. with uh, him and his friends that, well, he was walking around at the time. You know, his friends just had, you know, probably $200,000 worth of glass just <laughs> out on the table. Um, so, yeah, that was that was the only way you could spot their table. But uh, just kind of came back, befriended the friends of his, smoked some hash, lucked out, was able to get a couple grams that last day. Um, so that was... Worth worth waiting around and <laughs> seeking out for a couple hours out of my out of my day in 105 degree weather up in uh, Victorville, California for Chalice. It was you know quite the experience to be out there and try to uh, survive that heat. <laughs> Probably wouldn't do it again, but no, no. Was it worth you wouldn't now? Yeah. Was it worth the experience? <laughs> I mean, it, hey, it was it was great. I survived. You know. I mean. Yeah. Just, it was tough. I had to go out a week in advance because I got the judge's kit uh, for Chalice. And me and my friend, you know, we had to go pick up our kit a week ahead of time. And then we were just in a hotel in, you know, Victorville, California. It's average temperature about 105 degrees during the day. So <laughs> there's not a whole lot you can do other than sit in the hotel room. And they gave us the edible judging kit too. So, of course, we were just getting absolutely uh, brain fried on edibles and just watching TV and sitting in the air conditioned room dabbing, <laughs> filling up big gulp cups with Q-tips from all of our dabs and expensive hash we'd gotten at the dispensary in LA before we headed up. Thank, thank God because yeah, the judge's kit sure wasn't enough to, to keep us going for a week until we until Chalice started. So, well, I'll tell you, that's something we talked about though earlier too. It, it, I'm glad you mentioned it was the hash in Los Angeles or in California in general. And I, is there com some brands that you can point to in particular that you liked that you tried out there? Because a lot of people hear this hype; they hear seven ten loud. Yeah, AT Hash was one um, when the AT Hash had the pink lemonade back at the Emerald Cup two years ago in 2017. I mean, that was definitely some of the best stuff. He had a couple other uh, crosses with the pink lemonade that were you know, just incredibly tasty and uni un unique. I uh, ended up winning that year for Solventless, I think, the, the 90, mm -hmm. 90 micron full melt. Yeah. Um, so uh, the Emerald Cup concentrates uh, the year before that had some really amazing uh, Omiha. That was uh, some Sunset Sherbet Cross that was really tasty and unique. Um, and then, I mean, yeah, I got, got from a bunch of different people, you know, obviously Grape God, Cuban Grower. Uh, you know, obviously he was a big inspiration, you know, like seeing you know, him doing mm -hmm. Solventless and just being at the top of his game, you know, winning all these cups and uh, getting a, a really high price for his product uh, without using any solvent was, yeah, it was, it was definitely inspiring. And um, Is there anybody, are, are there groups, are there pockets of hash makers here in Maine that you look there? How, how much? Of a relationship do you have with other hash makers here in Maine? And, um, and yeah, I mean, I have some. I have some other friends around that are starting to make hash, and um, yeah, I mean, just just other buddies that support me. 
uh, with what I'm doing, I guess. Uh, there's Royal Jellies. He does BHO, but you know he does. We've done some collabs before. He does a really uh, good BHO, though. I'm, he I, does I'm really, really I, nice I quality him, yeah. BHO. Yeah, really, really high quality. He's a really good grower. You know, mm -hmm. small craft grower. Um, Shout out Royal Jellies pride. too, Mr. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, he's you know entrusted me with some of his material before, and we've, uh, we've had some really really nice collabs that, that people have enjoyed. You know, pretty limited, unfortunately, haven't really been able to offer them to the greater market. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I guess speaking he's, of collabs, he's one person. And, who other? Who else do you do you want to work with? Other, you know, you work with Royal Jelly. Anyone else that you can pinpoint in the state um, of Maine that you have? So I have a good friend that's a grower, uh, Hidden Forest Soil Company. Yeah, he's on Instagram. Um, but uh, yeah, he's he's someone that I'm you know potentially looking to maybe collab with in the future. He's doing some washing too. But uh, yeah, I think. He's, a, he's just a really good grower. I think, you know, his heart's in the right place, and uh, he's come leaps and bounds in the couple years that he's uh, put in to, to grow out outdoors in Maine and grow his company and knowledge of uh, growing in a sustainable way. And, yeah, I think it's really admirable. And, you know, yeah, that's the kind of person I want to support and uh, do collabs with. Right. Nice. I'm glad you brought that up, too. Yeah. Another thing, too, about, you know, the brand of everything's evolving right now in the state of Maine everything's happening so fast it seems like you know we've been waiting for rec waiting for rec and from everything I'm here we should be finally I know we've heard this before but on the cuff of a recreational market sure. uh, coming out so where do you see yourself playing in that where do you see mega raw you know in the future in the next couple years in the next five years you know what's where do you see yourself is it more of a scale up are you going to be staying with that small scale type um yeah team? I mean I might might pursue getting into the rec market you know it's definitely a possibility um i think you know i'll definitely try to focus on quality over everything and uh, just try to kind of build on the model that i've had so far that's worked for me and you know been been successful so uh yeah i mean try not to change too too much i guess but uh yeah, about, you gotta always be, be able to. How about store relations for you? How's how's that been uh, going? Creating markets, people who good. I think know. you know. I mean, ultimately, I think uh, being a little more flexible on your wholesale price, recognizing the fact that uh, these stores have you know additional overhead than caregivers might. Um, I think has been beneficial. Um, for for me, just yeah, to just be able to be like yeah, the the, the store will maybe take more. Um, you know, if the price is a little lower and not that they said that to me, but me just kind of offering, you know, at a little bit of a lower price and then it going, you know, moving faster and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, creates a regularity. I feel like some people though yeah. would argue that, that, that a hash is almost like a complimentary product to flour, the same as in a bar as if food is to drink. So do you think that the that the margin is needed that some of these stores offer? Because I almost feel like it's more so justified on the grower's end, but it's not so more justified on the storefront's end to demand such a large margin when really normally they're picking up extra sales on their flour, which kind of makes up for that that middle ground there. I don't know, it's just something that I've always thought of. It's like, does it, you know, we wholesale hash is normally, what, 50 to $60. Sometimes you get it as low as 40. And then, you know, the stores sometimes are tacking on a big margin that is that necessarily always needed throughout you know that's that's just something i've always pondered too i think it's not but i mean yeah i guess ultimately you'd you'd hope that uh the store would 
I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know if they can only probably get, you know, five grams at a time, but maybe giving them a discount, you know, if the person's going to get that much, but maybe starting it at a higher rate for the person that's only going to come in for one gram, but, mm -hmm. you know, having a little bit of flexibility to, like, have a special where, you know, if you get, you know, Seven, three grams of this and two grams mm -hmm. of that, they'll give you a deal or, you know, get 10% off or just, you know, just something. Right. Yeah, that does it. Ten percent on the big purchase like that does make quite a difference. Yeah, so. you know, I mean, what, whatever it is, I think you know, if you can, I think people are always kind of suckers for deals in general. So mm -hmm. Evan and I um, both had an experience, or have had experience as bud tenders, and so that one-on-one -on -one with who is coming in for what type of products, and whenever we'd have uh, um, a higher tier, I suppose, if you want to call it, of say flour, or or even just starting to offer uh, hash, for people who were looking for that higher tier of flour, they were interested in the hash offerings too because they almost knew what they were looking for beforehand. I think that education or that uh, knowledge for a lot of patients, they're not quite sure what hash still is. It's sort of like we were talking, you mentioned about having a torch. It, it's not gonna be easy for the regular, the, the customer who, doesn't have any kind of involvement with that to understand how to use it and to reap the benefits of why somebody would really be into purchasing, using, uh, enjoying hash in the same way as what uh, a lot of connoisseurs, I hate to throw that word around because it's not just connoisseurs, but a lot of people who are searching out for those flavor profiles, they are looking for that. They're not looking for a deal. And so I think as a hash maker, it should be protected. I think the price should be protected. Let the stores deal with it. Let them understand that, uh, you know, if you're getting add-ons to your souped up car, you know, it's an add-on. It's something extra that you get. You're not going to get full dollar for it. Um, I think hash, uh, on a store level, I think hash doesn't mean that the, uh, the store needs to recover a full double up if that's what they're trying to do or however so. Yeah, they, it's definitely it definitely seems excessive. Be, uh, yeah. In that case, um, yeah, I mean, if they're if they're doubling the price, you know, it's yeah. definitely doesn't need to be marked up that I think it plays much. geographically, you probably could, possibly could. We're well, still we, in a main in environment. Well, he talked he talked talk, talked earlier, too, about uh, California and how some of their hash was selling out the stores. You said at one point, what was it, 160? I, guess, I mean, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, I know that the 710 Labs goes for like 110 a gram after the taxes or something out in California right now. So, yeah, I mean... Mm -hmm. You know, in some cases, I guess we do have to be grateful that we don't have to be faced with some of the high uh, increase in taxes that, you know, the consumers out there have had to face being able to go and buy stuff in the legal market. Um, so, yeah, uh, hopefully, yeah, hopefully things can, can stay at a reasonable level and, uh, you know, Quality, you know, I think is always going to cost more, no matter you know what the market is. You know, mm -hmm. any any type of good, you know, you have the best, best of the best is going to cost more than you know just a run of the mill. As it should. Right? Uh, yeah, and I think that's you know re reflects in the quality. Hopefully, usually, <laughs> um, the difference be between products. You know, whether it's food or clothes or. You've encountered whatever. times. You've encountered times when the hash hasn't quite come out the way you had hoped. Yeah, I mean, sometimes stuff comes out darker, you know, sometimes uh, doesn't taste as good, I guess, you know, as, as you hope, you know, I mean, it's pretty, pretty critical of my own self and, you know, my own product, so, you know, if it's not 
you know, my favorite. I'm definitely not, uh, I definitely don't try to <laughs> brag it up or try to uh, sell something that, you know, something that's not, but. Well, transparency with the consumer is definitely Yeah, you know, I mean, important. if it's good, you know, let, let the price reflect that it's good. Mm -hmm. If it's not so good, you know, the price is probably gonna reflect that it's not so good. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if it's a little darker, I know some people not stoked with that and they're like, oh, you shouldn't sell, like, shouldn't say that you're going to sell the darker stuff or less, but it's like, I mean, unfortunately, yeah, it's kind of the way the market goes, you know, right. that's Same what the flower. customer demands that, you know, it's got to look <laughs> the flower can a certain look way, you know, I mean, you can, you can hold out that bag appeal, then you're almost selling, it's like the same yeah, thing. Yeah, you can hold, it's the same thing, I mean, you can have, if you have outdoor green bud, I mean, you can hold out and try to get indoor prices all day if you want, but, <laughs> you know, in this day and age, you know, you might end up sitting on it longer than uh, is financially feasible for you, so. I mean, mm -hmm. speaking a lot about the consumers, what do the consumers have to look forward to? What's coming up? Like, what is anything you've been working on strain-wise? Like, what can you let us in on any of that stuff? Yeah, um, so, I mean, I, I have a, one other, uh, grower that I work with, I uh, do some washes for, and uh, he has a select, you know, this uh, banana pie pie that I'm calling popsicle slime. Uh, so it's like kind of a new, unre unreleased, you know, just kind of still in the works that's uh, it's coming out. And I mean, he's, uh, he's come out with some papaya and cream that was really nice, you know, get done a small run of that. People seem to really like it, so I think I'm going to try to put that more into production, and then I mean... The popsicle just, slime. What's a what's a turf profile like on that? <laughs> so it just kind of reminds me of when I was a kid eating the popsicles. Kind of has that nostalgic uh, when you're like peeling the wrapper off the popsicle. And you got those spider webs of kind of syrupy, yeah, sugary uh, slime, if you will. And uh, you know, the, you lick the popsicle. It kind of has that. You know that coating, syrupy, like, yeah, it's just kind of syrupy, and it's kind of like everything all together. It's you know, it's kind of like the green popsicle. It's kind of like the red. It's kind of got some grapes. So, I mean, it almost has like limey, like pineappley, but I mean, just syrupy sweet. Mm -hmm. uh, and what's, a, what's one of my favorite uh, fruit profiles? And it has a really nice high too. It has a really kind of uh, zippy, more you know, productive, more kind of sativa ish. Mm -hmm. And what was the, what did you say was the, the crosses on So it's uh, grape pie, banana OG, cross to papaya. Wow. So it's kind of a Canarado and then uh, Harry Palms, Bloom Seed Company. Grape, uh, banana, cancer. and papaya. Yeah, <laughs> so I mean, yeah, it literally comes with like a pineapple and lime and grape and, you know, fruit punch. I mean, it's, you know, it's got a lot. A lot going on there. A lot of so. sharp flavors. A lot of sharp. Yeah, I mean it's <clears throat> it's it's pretty complex and it's not really <clears throat> like a lot of fruit strains that I've had. It's definitely mm -hmm. you know it's, it's been been one of my favorites since I first tried it. So I'm grateful that it's been able to be kept around and hopefully uh, we'll continue to come through. Uh, uh, yeah. Do you do um, for for Collabs. Do you think that might be something you end up doing a little bit more collabing with as opposed to, I mean, there'll be some unique strains only only by Mega Raw, but there's collab. You think you want to experience that? You want to, and, and 
look into that world with other partnerships, other people? Yeah, has it possibly. To that I point? mean, yeah, it's. Uh, has it gotten to that point trust wise as well with the product that you're working with? I think, yeah, I mean, I think just ultimately finding, <clears throat> you know, other growers that are not, you know, already trying to make their own hash, I guess, or. Yeah, you know, m most of my friends are growers or, yeah, and or making hash. So, I mean, you know, we all kind of support each other, but. Well, even to that point, have you ever, has yeah, it come yeah. down to the point if you, if someone came up to you, another hash maker and said, hey man, let me, let me get a, a pound or, or five pounds of fresh frozen, you know, cause that's equatable to a pound normally or, or however you do your scale to dry, you know, let me get some fresh frozen of, of the, your, your pie dough. How would that work out? Is that um, a no way, man? Sorry, that's a that's a yeah. I probably I probably wouldn't. I mean, I don't know. I just kind of look at it as like, what's it, what's it going to benefit me at this point? I mean, mm -hmm. Pido's yeah. kind of my own strain that right. I you know built the name on exclusively through my brand. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, don't doesn't really do me any good, I guess, unless you know someone was you know except really exceptional grower. Even in that case, you know, I think in these days, just having your own unique uh, strain is really uh, something to be said about that. You know, yeah, there is. Yeah. Uh, everything I feel like is given out too freely these days. And, uh, you know, you can find people that will sell you just about any clone out there, you know, for cheap, mm -hmm. you know, $20 or something. So, yeah, I think there's something to be said about if you can find something that's really good and unique. Um, and yeah, I mean, if, if you're just talking about commercial clones that everyone's selling, you can get it in California and, you know, a hundred people have access to it, then that's one thing. But, you know, if you do the pheno hunt and find something really um, unique and, and uh, incredible, yeah, I mean, I can see some people now that are, uh, yeah, just doing that kind of work and doing breeding and, you know, they're, they're not releasing seeds, you know, they're just trying to find stuff so they can, yeah, find that, be, be, be ahead of the curve. And I think, you know, in this day and age, you know, it's not really that exciting if you have, uh, you know, 20 hash makers all growing or processing for people that are, you know, just growing GMO. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, you know, no one's going to have anything interesting to get from the other people, you know. If everyone's growing 20 different strains that are all unique that they've hunted, you know, for making hash that makes amazing rosin. Mm -hmm. Then imagine, you know, that market. I mean, it's, it's going to look great. You know, oh, yeah. 20 different versions of pie dough with different variations of fruitiness and gassiness that are all amazing hash making strains. And there's 20 people in Maine coming with it. I would be stoked. I'd be like, yeah, I'll support all of you. <laughs> Go to this guy for this one and this one. Yeah.